here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Good morning. Hello, everyone. I'm Angelina Carlton, the founder of the Design Your Legacy podcast. And I'm looking to distill the best practices, the positive examples in action, and the best ideas to inspire you. As today's affluent are two-thirds self-made, I hope to invite a variety of guests from many walks of life and income levels to bring you their insights and experiences. These guests range from family office professionals, Hollywood directors, and those in Generation Z, as they each contribute their thought leadership to this subject of legacy. I hope to provide interesting guests who challenge your beliefs with their strong bias towards optimism and how you too can value your time life, and personal legacy. How would you spend your time after you retired or retired four times? Here is an incredible story of someone who turned their struggle into a vehicle to help others. Today, we are talking with Barry Fowler, the chairman of the Fowler International Academy of Professional Coaching on this Designing Your Legacy podcast. Barry believes in the power of coaching as he sees similar industries now migrating to this skill set and industry. He has a website that he will speak on further as he shares his course offerings, where you too can be one of his 9,000 students around the world in today's growing industry of coaching. Welcome, Mr. Fowler. Oh, thank you so much, Angelina. And please call me Barry. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So would you like to share a bit about your story? You went to maybe, what was it, five different colleges before <laughs> the breakthrough happened? Yeah, 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 that's the that's the absolute truth. Um, you know, like hundreds of thousands of other students in our country, uh, somehow I didn't learn how to read or at least read well enough to take advantage of a college education. Yet I managed, so I managed to fool my way through elementary, junior high, high school, and, and graduate and even into my first college, but didn't have those skills. And so for me, it was very frustrating. And I would, you know, try as hard as I could. My grades were below sea level. Um, I'd quit for a semester, go do something else. And I was really successful in the real world but college was just, it was like pushing a rope up a hill. <laughs> and, yes. But I grew up in a family that, you know, was just expected. We, you know, we go to college and then we create a career. And so I had this goal hanging over my head and, and I'd go back and try again and, and with the same kind of dismal results. And so it was, 
after trying my hand at selling life insurance when I was 23 years old, um, and I, I, I could do it, but I didn't enjoy it, that I was finally, you know, motivated back to college for the fourth and final time. And I went to Chapman University, a small private college in Orange, California. And when I, when I went to register, I noticed that they had this speed reading class for incoming freshmen. And I remember thinking to myself, well, maybe that's what I need. I need to learn how to read faster. And that would help me in school. And so as I signed up for, and it was a non-credit class, and, but, it, but still I was looking forward to, you know, thinking I, I'd become a speed reader. And so I signed up for the class and the woman that was teaching the class was my age. She had just completed her master's at Chapman and we got to be kind of pals right off the bat because all the other students were these young, you know, 17, 18 year old freshmen. And about two weeks into this speed reading class, this first semester, um, she pulled me aside one day and she said, Barry, you know, I don't think speed reading is what you need. And I remember my, Angelina, my heart sunk. I, I thought, oh my gosh, she's going to tell me I don't have what it takes. And, you know, but you know what she said? She said, you know, after working with you the last couple of weeks, I've determined that you missed out on some really basic concepts in reading. And rather than trying to increase your reading rate, let me make a suggestion. Allow me to do some additional testing and we can determine where your weaknesses are and we can find out where your strengths are. And then I can prescribe a course of action that I think will make a big difference. Does that sound reasonable to you? And it was the, the answer was yes. And that was the smartest answer I've ever given because working with this woman, for one semester, it changed. It was like the light bulb went on for the first time. And I went from a below C average student to the straight A's through all of my undergraduate and graduate. Well, I had one B, but that didn't have anything to do with my reading. But I became a student on fire. And it was because of that experience that I had to become a teacher. <laughs> and and that's what I did. I taught the public schools for five years. I, I was uh, uh, a classroom teacher, a master teacher, and, and a later a department chair. But so that was that was my experience and being a very late bloomer and learning how to read at 23 years old. So I just want to highlight for a moment that while you were struggling in the academic world, on the weekends, you were busy as an artist doing caricatures, building sales teams. And one of the observations that I shared with you before today's uh, recording was your, um, your developed gift when it came to people skills and sales skills that, you know, that area of your life grew. Would you speak on, on kind of that second world that helped propel what would later yeah. become your franchises and yeah you know when you don't when you're academically challenged because of a lack of some very basic information you you know you typically make up for that in other ways 
And remember I said I managed to fool my way through high school into college. And I did that because I had great listening skills and I developed some very strong people skills as well. And so, so I started my first business when I was 19 and I did uh, caricatures and portraits of tourists in a place. Well, my first art concession was in Marineland in uh, Southern California. And, and as I, as I became more and more immersed in that business, I leveraged that by hiring other college students and training them to do portraits the way that I did, and also to do caricatures. And I ended up owning several art concessions. And, you know, in that kind of business, people's skills are really important, uh, not just for the the tourists that you're, you know, you're providing your services with, but for also building a great team of people who are excited and motivated, you know, to be, to be part of my business. I just wanted to share that story with the listener or the viewer, because here you are and you're struggling with an academia. And then you're also simultaneously realizing that you could make more income through this art, you know, kind of side business. And I just think that that kind of, that was another light bulb that went off that moment. Yeah, in fact, you know what was kind of crazy is that I made, when I started teaching, it was back in 1970, let's say 74 or five, I actually made twice as much money in the summer in my art business than I did teaching the entire year. But, you know, I wanted to be a teacher. And so fortunately, I had that supplemental income as well. So in addition to your mother being an amazing supporter of you throughout the years and her nurturing and your grandfather being an entrepreneur, who else helped you take ownership of what I call your personal legacy? Because you knew from a start that you weren't going to give up on yourself. I, I was so fortunate when I was in the ninth grade, my Mary, my mother married an incredible person, my stepdad. And he was another, you know, mentor and rooter for my success. I mean, he just was there for me every step of the way. And in fact, uh, when I wanted to get the art concession at Marineland, um, he helped me walk through those steps. And it was really interesting. When Marineland had never had a private concession on their grounds, but um, talking with my dad, he said, Barry, you know, this is really a good deal for Marineland and for you. And so what you need to do is you need to write a letter to the president and explain why your art concession would be so beneficial and, and then once you've you know, heard anything, or even if you haven't, you go down to his office and you sit there and you wait until he sees you. And, and I did that. And, and I didn't have an appointment at the secretary. Um, I, I waited for hours and hours, you know, and, and she said, you know, well, he's busy. And I said, oh, that's okay. I can wait. And I sat down and I waited for hours and hours. And finally, 
you know, and, and he would, I could hear the secretary, if she'd pick up the phone and she'd say, yeah, mm-hmm, yep, he's still here. And so finally, the, the guy lets me into his office and uh, has me do a caricature of him. <clears throat> and that's how I ended up getting to the first private concession inside Marine Land. But, but it was my dad that taught me to be, you know, very focused and persevere and, you know, set my goals and then just don't take no for an answer and just go get them. And so, so he was instrumental, my, my stepdad as well. That's wonderful because one of the things that I appreciated is that you, you never wallowed in self-pity. You just got on to what was important. You know, in spite of the challenges I had early on in college, I was still, you know, happy. I mean, I would, I felt, you know, I couldn't figure out what the heck's wrong here. You know, I'm so successful in the real world. How, why, how come I'm having such a struggle in college? So, you know, I felt like so many others. Um, when I started Sobin, that's who we, you know, our services we're, we're focused on kids who had fallen through the cracks, just like me. And one of the biggest elements of our success with Sylvan was the coaching element, because these kids felt like idiots, you know, they felt dumb. And, and it was only because, and they weren't performing, they were falling further and further behind, simply because they missed out on basic information, basic skills. Yet it affected their self-esteem and their self-confidence. And their identity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that story about Sylvan and how you sat outside of the uh, the decision maker's office. I didn't know that story. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great lesson to learn from my from my dad and and having his support was was perfect. So you worked a franchising model with the Sylvan Learning Centers. Yeah. So my question is: so in addition to franchising, I can opine agree with me or not, that your mindset allowed you to help others in building up communities and families around the world with multiple businesses, which um, you're going to probably share it in a moment. But one of the things that I noticed is that you were very good also in protecting your ideas um, in your early years. Would you speak on that for a moment? Because sometimes people, they will, um, they won't even get out of the, the starting gate. Oh, I know. I know. And, you know, I think, I mean, I, I was so fortunate. One of the things that helped me succeed as a, at Sylvan as I was very naive in the fact that, you know, people would, would nowadays would say you have to have a million dollars and you have to do all this stuff to start a, a successful franchise company. But I had this crystal clear vision in my mind's eye. When I was taught for five years in the public schools, and one of the things that I knew is in those days, 25 to 30% of all of our students weren't learning or didn't master their basic skills and they needed help. The other thing I knew that at least a third of my colleagues loved teaching, but they were fed up with the bureaucracy and the lack of rewards. You know, as a teacher, your rewards were very limited. So I decided in my mind that I had the perfect answer, that parents were were willing to take 
the burden of their child's success uh, on their own shoulders and actually pay for excellent tutoring and, and support. And, and so there's a giant market, 25, 30% of all the kids in schools. And, and on the other hand, there was a huge opportunity for teachers like myself who love teaching, but wanted to make some money and to do something that they weren't constantly, their budget wouldn't get cut. And so, so in my mind, my idea about Sylvan made total sense. And I decided that I'd quit teaching and start my, you know, my first learning center, prove it educationally successful, and then prove it successful from a business standpoint, and then franchise it to all these wonderful teachers that love kids and would love to have this kind of business. And, and, and so when I defending that dream um, was really important because I was so excited when I decided to do it. And I would tell my friends and colleagues, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a learning center. I'm going to prove it great. It's very successful. And then I'm going to franchise it all over the country. And people would look at me like I had completely lost my mind. And even some close friends and even some family members and colleagues would try to talk me out of my dream. They'd say, Barry, what do you know about franchising? What makes you think you could do this? And, you know, you're going to quit a tenured teaching job to do this crazy idea? And I said, yes. But the reason I was able to defend my my dream was in my mind, it was absolutely crystal clear. And later, and when Sylvan became successful and we had, you know, franchises all over the country and we were helping thousands and thousands of kids every day, people would say, did you ever in your wildest dreams think Sylvan could be this? And my answer is yes. I absolutely thought that from the very start. So, so having that vision and having it so clear um, is one of the things that I think help people succeed in spite of all the challenges and the naysayers, that vision is, is instrumental in helping. And, and in coaching, one of the first things we do with, one of, with our clients is to determine, help them understand exactly where they want to end up and what that looks like and feels like and how does that affect those around them. And when they get that crystal clear vision of what success looks like and they can almost taste it, that becomes an anchor for them to move forward to achieving all their goals and their objectives and really living the life that they, they envision. Does that make sense? It does. And I was going to circle back to um, your time as an artist with illustrations, but yeah. I almost wonder if your ability to have a, um, what I call maybe a, a lively inner world, uh, a creative uh, inner resourcefulness, then just became or got parlayed into your ability to hold this business vision. Yeah, I think that's I think that's an excellent observation. And I, I you know, as I say, in, in every business that I've launched and, and those that I've coached, um, 
it's always been, you know, that visualization. And I think, you know, the fact, I mean, I have drawn all my life. I still love to draw and paint. And uh, I always say someday when I grow up, maybe I'll be an artist. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, business is art. And the growing and uh, a business is very much like completing a painting. There are so many layers and, you know, as, as someone paints there, you know, there are forks in the different roads of painting where you adjust. And uh, so, it, you know, to me, business is very much of a creative art form as well. Yes, I just wanted to uh, shine a flashlight for a moment on your, what I might call your superpower of um, being an artist, because I think that imagination was well, such a, a skill set when it came to being able to hold your vision in the business world and know how to, like you said, adapt with the colors and the paintbrushes and the forks in the road. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's true. And I think also when you're able to, to have that vision, and I think everybody can do that. I don't think you have to, but you know, the majority of people are visual learners, you know, they're, they're, they're visual auditory and kinesthetic learners. And those are the three kind of learning modalities. The majority of people are visual and a lot, you know, and, it's, and we're all kind of a combination of the three, but, but having, you know, having the, uh, you know, the, the ability to see things, you know, and, and then see things that can become an, uh, a reality um, is really, you know, is, is really something that's helped me all throughout my career. And, and I've, I've been able to share that vision, which has allowed me to leverage what I do and, and help others learn how to help others through, you know, either Sylvan or the little gym or, or through coaching. Wonderful. Wonderful. I just, again, wanted to inspire anyone who's listening that also might daydream and have an idea in their heart, but when they can hear another individual say that they leveraged that dream into a reality, I think that can also plant a seed of hope and so forth. Yeah. And I think one thing really important, a tip is stay away from the negative folks that want to try to steal your dream because you can bank on the fact that that can happen. Yes. Very good. Very nice. So did you keep a journal or a map during your growth? Like, did, were, did you track it at that time or do you look back and did you wish you did? Yeah. I, I constantly, I kept a, um, I guess an economic, two things. One, I was constantly uh, visualizing what the next step would be in the progress of my business. And so I kept constantly doing projections and I do best case, you know, projections, real, what reality might be, and then worst case. And so I kept... Uh, a written record of, of what I saw the business would do. Now, it was focused on the economics of business, you know, the numbers. But it also had to do with how many students we'd have and, you know, what kind of cash flow and what, you know, all that kind of stuff, what we would spend on advertising. And that became kind of my business journal, those exercises that I would constantly do. 
And so, so, so that was really helpful. But the other thing that was helpful for me is I kept what I call my motivational drawer. And I knew, well, one of the things that when I started Sylvan, one of my goals was to be able to retire by, by my 40th birthday. I mean, that was a very crystal clear goal of mine. I wanted to be financially independent by the time I turned 40. I remember you sharing that. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 for, you know, I was able to do that. And, uh, and, and, but it was always part of my vision, you know, that, that I'm going to work real hard and I'm going to make sure that there's integrity in the business and that, that eventually I'm going to sell the business and I'm going to do whatever I want to do when I'm 40. Right. And so, so having that, and then, a lot, you know, to continue towards that goal, I had a, in my desk drawer, I had a folder that I would keep things. And, and in those days, you know, I was young, I was in my thirties and, you know, how young is I was, I was focused on a lot of material things in those days, you know, there was so a sports I, car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boat sport. Exactly. Porsche, you know, and, and I would have those kinds of things, a jet um, in my motivational drawer. And when I would read an article or something about something that would, you know, Oh, I want that. Or I want to do that. I want to travel, you know, I want to cruise. I want to, so I keep putting these little things in my motivational drawer. And sometimes, you know, if I, I was, you know, on the business or the ride, as most everybody knows, there are the great peaks and there are those dips, those valleys. And sometimes when I was having some challenges and feeling like I was in one of those deep valleys, being able to just kind of look through why I'm working so hard and what I'm doing was really, really helpful. Now, Angelina, I got to tell you, my motivational drawer has changed tremendously. And at this stage in my life, it's, it's you know, I've been blessed and fortunate to have all the things I ever dreamed of and did, you know, when I was young. But my motivational drawer are all about my kids and grandkids and my community of coaches. I mean, I, you know, we only attract the nicest people in the world and I call them big hearted people. And everybody is attracted to coaching because they want to help others. And, um, and sometimes, you know, they want to make money and they want to work part-time. They want to be able to travel and still, you know, make a difference in people's lives. There are lots of reasons, but they're big hearted people. And so, my my focus instead of things anymore are my family, my kids, my grandkids, and my incredible community of the best people I've ever been surrounded with. So people before things these people, days. <laughs> yeah, we learned those lessons along the way. One of the things that I thought was very interesting that you had shared in our first conversation is the number of doctors and therapists and people that are in similar industries that are now migrating and transitioning to coaching um, and realizing if they have just maybe 10 or 11 clients that they can match their income. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because right before we started this podcast, I had a, what we call a discovery session with a physician and she's been in medicine for 30 plus years and she's looking at, and we were, we were laughing because a lot of times I call it the fourth quarter career, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's an opportunity to stay engaged, um, to remain uh, relevant and to do good and help others live a happy, abundant, feel good, successful life. And that's exactly what this, this physician, this woman that I was speaking with, and she actually came because another one of my master coaches who's been a doc for 25 years, um, they were colleagues. And, and so it's, it's the, the trend that's been happening over the last five years and, and accelerated greatly over the last few as people from helping professions like counselors, therapists, psychologists, and, and medical doctors are looking for additional ways or an alternative way to help people earn a professional living, whether it's full-time or part-time, <clears throat> and get away from bureaucracy and red tape and what's going on. And so... So yeah, yeah, a lot of professionals are making a switch. And, and a lot of times I hear from these folks that, you know, uh, besides looking for freedom and flexibility, because coaching is a non-regulated profession. And so you don't have to deal with all that stuff and they're happy to say goodbye to it. They, many of them also tell me that you know, for, for decades, they've been dealing with clients and it's a lot of negative baggage that they, they have to listen to and deal with. And it affects them. I mean, it starts to you know, affect them. I hear it all the time. And they say, you know, one of the things I love the most about coaching is it's forward looking and positive. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. yeah it changes the vibration of your day because how yeah, we take our our work home with us, whether we admit it or not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It changes our wall. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yes. So uh, circling back for a moment, as you were what I might call building your kingdom or building your businesses, what was something that you utilized as a best practice or a tool to hold yourself accountable? Because sometimes people can have amazing goals and then a month in or two months in, the rubber hits the road. And they might have to be called out unless they're calling themselves out. Yeah. And you remember how you, we were talking about journaling and I said many of much of my journaling was, was focused on the economics and the growth of my business. And that that's one of the ways I was able to constantly uh, hold myself and our, our whole organization accountable to what we wanted to achieve. And, you know, a lot of it dealt with numbers and cash flow, but in those numbers were people. You know, how many people's lives are we affecting? And so, so that, that was a, a, a constant reminder and, 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 and getting the team together and getting them to completely buy in to the results of what we do collectively for people. I mean, 
that's a bit, you know, Sylvan was a hard model to follow <laughs> because it was, it was doing such good for so many people. Everybody won. You know, the, the kid won because all of a sudden they didn't feel like they were stupid and they would succeed in school and, and life was better. The parent won because as a parent, you know, our, our hearts are in our children. And, and so we didn't, you know, we didn't have that constant agony of a child that wasn't succeeding. And the schools won because kids were better performing and they were able to, you know, to move, you know, help these kids move forward. And then we as a business were winning. So it was that perfect combination, which spoiled me because I, I mentioned I retired right before my 40th birthday. And my first retirement lasted for five years. And we ended up traveling, you know, doing all the things that you had dreamed about doing. Before then, you couldn't golf anymore in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We moved to Maui and lived on the Kanapali Golf Course overlooking Kanapali Beach. And But my, you know, after five years, my wife said, hey, bud, you got to go back to work because you're driving me nuts. I'm going to have to hit you with the shovel or something. And I was pretty ready. I was worried my brain might atrophy or started to atrophy and uh and that's when i went back and acquired the little gym which is just a little mom and pop organization and 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 got immersed again and and uh and and went through that same process but but during that first five years a lot of people gave me incredible offers but i got to the to the place where it had to be socially beneficial. And so I, I, you know, I later learned the term social entrepreneurism. And, and, and I was spoiled with Sylvan. And even though there were some great economic opportunities that came along, and when I measured them against the importance of what we did at Sylvan, they just didn't stand up. And so the little gym was an opportunity for me to continue to provide a, a, a solution to a challenge that affects society. And, and so that's become my MO, so to speak, you know, and, and, and part of it, or the model was helping people learn how to help other people. And, and that's why my natural pro progression to my fourth quarter career, which I call, you know, my passion project as our coaching program and helping others learn to coach and help others. And, you know, we're, we're, we brag about, you know, almost 10,000 students around the world. And, but the thing that's most exciting about that is that every single day, thousands and thousands of our coaches are changing the lives of tens of thousands of people. So it, um, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. So do you think that this is what your legacy will be? I, I hope my legacy will be that I was a nice human being who loved human beings and rooted for people and provided some 
solutions to to help make lives better. I think that would be a, and that I was a great granddad and a really, really good husband. That's wonderful. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you for, for speaking into your legacy. Cause I think it's important that uh, people have these conversations more than new sports and weather to be able to look across the table and ask, what would you like your legacy to be? Because it requires the individual to search for the answer in their mind. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to who won the latest, you know, Sunday football game or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've had much success, which brings me to the question about celebrating milestones. I think sometimes as a society, we either forget to celebrate milestones or we just don't place a value on them. And so obviously you realize that somebody who just goes and goes and goes can get burned out. But if we can yeah. have a moment to celebrate um, those milestones and wins, then it, it also you know, and what I call uh, sets a positive example in how we can be, how we can live our lives. So how did you celebrate, if at all, when you're, when you've had the momentum at your back, you know, starting at age 25 or 20 or 19, because yeah. you, you went from one success to another. I, I, I did. Now, you know, along the way, there have been some things that I had in my mind's eye crystal clear that didn't really work <laughs> as well. But, but for the most part, I've been blessed with lots of success. And, and I think celebrating its successes is crucially important. In fact, when we train people to coach others, one of the things that we do, besides helping uh, you know, our clients develop this crystal clear idea of what success looks like, feels like, and then developing really well-articulated plans and taking those action steps along the way. During the ongoing coaching process, celebrating client successes is, is crucial to the ongoing coaching relationship. And, and, and I, you know, I've never been hesitant to celebrate my own personal success. Remember my motivational drawer? Yes, yes. I would, you know, as I move forward, I would pull something out of that drawer and say, it's time, it's time to get that. And so, so I got that Porsche. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although I bought that for my wife instead of me. I I had changed to, I wanted a big Mercedes instead of a little Porsche by then. But um, anyhow, we, we, you know, I gave my wife one for Christmas. So, Um, but yeah, it, uh, it, it, you know, it's just been a way that I've done business and, and it's a way that we treat our clients and help our clients remind them of the, you know, every week, uh, let's say we're meeting with a client every week, there's momentum and steps and even small steps when they, you know, when they, when they've achieved a particular uh, goal uh, or, or an objective, it's time to celebrate. And it's a really important element of keep helping people stay motivated and focused and moving forward. And so, yeah, I'm a firm believer in celebrating successes. And, you know, when I was young, a lot of it was partying and traveling and and crazy stuff. But as I matured, you know, there are more important ways to celebrate. 
yeah, I, I just wanted to highlight for a moment that whether big or small celebrations, it could be a dessert, a, a toast of good wine, a, you know, um, something like an out of town trip of play and exploration and adventure, but something to keep that built into the uh, into the conversation, into the coaching relationship, but also into, you know, what I might call when somebody's developing a legacy to not just have it be all work and no play. Yeah. 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 It makes, it makes a huge difference in our overall well being. you know, so many times we're, we're, we're so focused on our career or, you know, what we have to do on a daily basis for others um, and especially moms, but, you know, all of us, um, we're so focused on doing things for others. It's important that we do things for ourselves. And it's not selfish, you know. So many people right now, they're caught up in what they, you know, the slipstream of life. Yeah, we had a conversation about that. Yes. They're being day after day. And they know that they're in this rut and it's just screaming them along and they're reacting and they're not taking time for themselves. And it's so, it's a, it's kind of a habit that's maybe a bit hard to break unless you have some help. But once you do and understand how that, those obligations that you feel you're actually going to be better prepared to serve others when you take time for yourself. So it's important. The celebration is really important. Yes. Yes. Thank you for speaking into that, into the, sure. the, 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 the perspective of fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> because sometimes people can think of uh, entrepreneurship or even their legacy as hard work. And there might be an element of truth to that, but I think we could also put on the mindset of, well, what if it could be fun? Yeah, I mean, I've always felt, you know, it's, it's, I think it's the most stimulating, exciting, and fun thing we could ever do when we chase and follow and achieve our dreams. Bravo. Whether it's, whether it's a business that we're launching or a, uh, you know, uh, helping someone achieve their dreams. It's, 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 I, it just doesn't, there's, there's, I can't think of anything more fun than knowing what you want to do and achieving it and having that tremendous feeling of success. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I concur. I second that motion. Yeah. <laughs> if you could have one message to share given your life experiences, as well as business successes, what would that one message be today, you know, for somebody who is considering what I call taking personal agency of their legacy? Yeah, I would, I, I think my message would be uh, dream, dream your dreams and dream the biggest dreams you, you want. And, and then, start to feel what that will be like when you achieve those dreams and don't let anybody ever talk you out of them. And that's how you're going to build your personal legacy by dreaming, uh, defending your dream and taking the steps necessary to do what in your heart, you know, you were born to do. 
Very good, very inspiring. Are there any closing thoughts you would like to share, a website or anything that you're working oh, on right now or? Yeah, yeah, no, I'd love, absolutely. I'd love to share our website. So uh, my passion project, my fourth quarter career is Fowler International Academy of Professional Coaching. And our website address is fiacoaching.com. And uh, we train and certify the nicest people in the world to help others through coaching. And I also have through my other organization, Fowler School of Business and Executive Coaching, for those folks that want to help entrepreneurs and small business owners, I have a very special master business coach uh, credential program as well. But you can access them if you're interested in learning more or want to spread the word. Um, you can access them all through fiacoaching.com. Thank you so much for allowing me to do that. Wonderful. Thank you. So um, to close out this conversation, I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for the wisdom that you've brought to this profession that, um, you know, one of the things is I think that this coaching industry needs strong voices of leadership to be able to speak into what is possible. And because like, as you said, how valuable coaching can be both to somebody who finds themselves in that slippery slope, or they're in that fourth quarter, fourth act of life, and, and they're looking for that new bit of purpose. But I think it's just so important to highlight, um, you know, who, who coaches are, and also just um, what it is you bring your perspective, you know, in mastering your imagination and your artistry and being able to parlay that over into the business world, whether it's those numbers reflecting back to you, but you held yourself accountable. You didn't let, you know, what I might call like a sad story stop you decades ago. You just, you turned it around. You waited outside the office of the decision maker at Marine World and, and the rest is just beautiful history. I've truly lived a blessed life, and I'm grateful for all the tremendous support I've had along the way. So, And I'm very grateful for you inviting me to share this time with you today, Angelina. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, um, to all of the listeners out there, please like and subscribe and share this podcast episode with anyone that you think would find value in it. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for joining.